Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Joe, thanks for having me. You are so welcome. I want to say, by the way, before we before we even get started, I want to say very quickly, uh, I've kind of had a revelation, a little bit of a of a an awakening, I suppose is the word. Okay. Um, because you know we've been doing this podcast now for for what twenty two years, right? Twenty 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 three 23 years, yeah. Twenty three years, closing on twenty three years, yeah. And and you have brought a new level of professionalism to it with your sixty dollar microphone. That's right. Uh, which I think is great, uh, and I feel like I've I've sort of been letting us down a little bit. To be honest, I, I just don't feel like I brought that level of professionalism. So I went out and I bought a. And, and I'm. This is not a joke. I literally did this. I bought a a timer, a an hourglass sand timer. Okay. That I have on my desk. It's a thirty minute timer, and and I think what we should do is when I flip this, and we flip this right, right, when we're really kind of getting rolling. This is sort of the preamble, but when mm-hmm. we're getting ready to roll, I flip this thing. The last sand uh, runs through it. Podcast is over. Uh, I think this is a great idea for several reasons. Number one, uh, the average podcast is roughly two and a half times as long as as it should be, or anyone wants it to be. That's number anyone one. Number two, and thank thank goodness you did this because until you bought that sand based timer, we had no way of knowing how quickly time was moving. Exactly. So exactly. now now we have that capability. And that will because I mean you can't fault us really before now because there was no other means of of determining how much time had gone by in any scenario. Exactly. Now, now we have that ability, so now we can improve the quality level of the podcast. I would literally produce the thing and I would put it up, and then people would say, "You know, that thing was hour and twenty nine minutes long," and I'd be like, "I I, I didn't know that. I you had know, no really way. We had no it. way of knowing. What are we? We're not. We can't look at the the like angle of the sun." You know what I mean? It was impossible, but now we now we can, so that's now great. Now we can because we have a sand timer. So so we're going to use the sand timer. I'm very excited about it. Uh, let's do very quickly our uh, sponsor uh, this week is, uh, as as usual, uh, Blue Apron. Uh, Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country, in the in the world. I don't care what they say on their they're, they're the number one in the world. Who's going to argue with them being number one in the world? There's another uh, company in uh, in Dar es Salaam that I think is <laughs> is a better meal delivery service. They're come in and they're going to just totally, yeah. totally fight me. Um, I love Blue Apron. I, I don't need to. I don't need to read the thing. We we use Blue Apron every week. Uh, they they deliver a box to our home on on I think Friday or Saturday. I can't remember what day it comes, but one day just as the weekends get rolling, we unpack it. We have like a whole family thing. I give the the various ingredients, you know, here's the carrots, here's the celery, here's the Brussels sprouts. The girls put it into their proper category. We cook it as a family. It's it's cool. It's really, really cool. And if you are a podcast listener as you are, uh, you go to blueapron.com slash podcast, P-O-S-C-A-S-T, uh, and you get your first three meals free, including shipping, which I just think is it's free food. It's ridiculous. That I, why would you not do it? Is really the harder question, I think. If you're a jerk, <laughs> that's why you wouldn't do it. If you're a straight up jerk, that's really the only reason. Yeah, that, that's that the I only can... reason I can think of that someone wouldn't use Blue Apron for free. Yeah. For free, 
Yeah, uh, a, a mean jerk. That's the only people who don't do this. They're mean jerks. So don't be a mean jerk. That is exactly <laughs> That's right. That, should, that should be their slogan. If you're listening to this. We don't want mean jerks even listening. If I were, if I ran Blue Apron, I would make that our corporate slogan. I would say, Blue Apron, if you're not a mean jerk, then you should use our product. Exactly. <laughs> Very exactly. catchy. You are cutting out the mean jerks, but I think you're okay with that. I That's fine. We don't want those mean jerks anyway. No. You know, take your business to Dar es Salaam. Use that company. <laughs> Whatever yeah, that company that's is. The, that's the mean jerk company. That's exactly. right. And yeah, granted, look, there's a lot of mean jerks in the world, and that's why that company is doing well. But guess what? Don't want them. <laughs> don't, don't want to be any part of that. Don't want to be any part. All right. So as as usual, we totally screwed up that ad. Uh, but I do love uh, – I really do love Blue Apron. It's great. We had the chicken fettuccine yesterday. It was like with broccoli. It was delicious. Just – I'm total big fan. All right, I'm going to flip the the uh, side of the hourglass here. So we are we are on the clock. We are literally on the clock. Thirty Great. minutes. Here we go. It is now flipped, and we are going to talk uh, mostly today about um, Sergio Garcia and uh, the Masters and the coolness of people winning after very long periods of time where they do not win and all of that. But before we get started with that. What happened this weekend, to you, Michael? What what something happened? Oh, you mean I I lost my mind a little bit. You you lost your mind. What explain? A writer I work with on the Good Place named Jen Statsky, who's an incredibly funny person, a brilliant writer, a wonderful, crazy, kooky lady, uh, expressed an opinion that I that I could not believe was her was her legit opinion, and it, it was basically that you know that guy who used to do the Can you hear me now thing for Verizon. That guy, he's glasses and he, he walked around and said, can you hear me now for like eight years? That guy now does ads for Sprint in which he says, I used to say, can you hear me now? Because Verizon, blah, blah, blah. But now I work for, now Sprint is the best network or whatever. And Jen Stasky, again, who I love dearly and who is incredibly talented and a very valuable member of writing staffs that I've been a part of for many years now, is like furious at the guy because she thinks that he is like a traitor. <laughs> that like he should that it's that it's sort of like untoward that he is now doing ads for a competing company. I thought it was a a bit. I thought it was a joke, the, right. and so it went on for a long time in the room. And then I actually put up a poll that said, "This is her real opinion: Is she insane or not?" And like it was more people were on my side, but it was only like fifty five forty five, which I thought was insane. I mean, this is just a this is a spokesperson. This is a hired actor who's paid by a company to like read a thing and say like Verizon's great, and then they fired him. Basically, they didn't renew his contract. A, year, a couple of years went by, whatever. Then a different company said, "Hey, do you want more money to come to our company?" And he said, "Sure," because he's not an insane person. And he did ads for Sprint, and and then people started writing in and saying like, "No, I'm with. I don't like it. I think he's a traitor. I don't think he should have done it. It's it's uncouth or something." And I just I snapped. I really can't. Well, you know, I'll tell you why. And there, there's actually something vaguely related to sports about this, I would say. People were essentially feeling bad for the corporation. They were saying like, hey, Verizon, you know, hired this guy and he did these ads for them. And then he like betrayed. And how would you like it if one of your writers went to another show? There was a lot of analogies being thrown around, none of which was a good analogy because this is just a guy that a company hired to be in an ad who then went to right. a different company, right? So it's very hard to find an actually good analogy for this. But the the relevance that I found to sports was it's a little like, like a labor dispute when people side with the owners over 
over the players because the players are sort of the visible face of the sport and the owners are these kind of like silent mysterious people who you know are up in a luxury box somewhere and so people end up siding with owners instead of players which is also insane the owners are billionaire monsters who soak the public for like money tax money to build stadiums and royally screw over anybody they can at any moment for any reason and the players yeah they make a lot of money but like the players are the labor force and so Relatively speaking, the players are who we, I will, always will side with. But in, in, in this case, it felt like a similar thing where it was like people – I was like, you feel bad for Verizon? What are you talking about? Like Verizon – it's just a company. They, they Their marketing department had this idea and they made these ads and then the ads ended and they fired the guy. And then a different company's marketing department had another idea using that same guy. Often He's supposed to turn it down. Because he has a sense of loyalty to Verizon? What do you even... People who use Verizon's products don't have a loyalty to Verizon. If they decide that a different cell phone company will is a better deal for them, they'll drop them in a second. And I really kind of blew my mind that so many people would say, yeah, I think that that guy... I mean, if you want to take it out on Sprint and say, I don't like that ad campaign or something, that's also crazy, but go ahead. But the idea that people were... We're like felt like this guy was at fault somehow. Just absolutely knocked me for a loop, and I kind of uh, glitched out on Twitter and put up a bunch of polls and made them all <laughs> seven day long polls because I want as many people as possible to vote. So go to Ed Kendramendis if you want to vote in my polls about wh- how why Jens and by the way Jen Statsky wasn't the only one. Then Owen Ellickson, a friend of mine named Owen Ellickson, who's a very funny writer, he was on Jen's side and the a producer uh, named Tracy Katsky Boomer, she got in on it. She was on their side too. And I I just I felt like I was going crazy. I truly felt like the like I was in a weird Black Mirror episode where the whole world had gone insane and felt like we all, we should be nicer to Verizon. <laughs> I, mean, I, I have to say, I, I mean, obviously, you you did you went you went totally not so and yeah. And, and if you go to Kendra Menace, uh and and see it, which I would imagine most people follow you already or who are listening to this, so they already know this. Uh, these polls are there. You, you lost your mind. I mean, you, you you totally went nuts. But I gotta say, first of all, I'm totally 100 percent on your side. I don't. I, I guess I'm so much on your side. I don't even understand the other side argument. Thank like, you. I don't, I, right. I mean, I don't even understand. So so is the point that they made this guy or something? And I don't, I think honestly, I honestly think um, I honestly think it's just basic. This is another way that it relates to sports, I believe. It's basic tribalism, I think. Yeah. It's sort of like you when a person is identified with a tribe. It's why when an athlete goes from – it's why when Jason Hayward goes from the Cardinals to the Cubs, everyone loses their mind. Or when right. Johnny Damon goes from the Red Sox to the Yankees. And that was an analogy that people tried to use to make me like question my stance. But <laughs> my response was like, first of all, it's not the same at all because – at least fans and, and sports teams have a legitimate emotional connection. At time, you know, there's a real emotion there. No one has a legitimate emotional connection to Verizon or Sprint. And and certainly the actors hired by those companies, you never are like, yeah, that's I use Verizon and that's why I love that guy who does their ads. No one ever has the feeling the way you have that feeling about baseball players or football players. Well, and there is another point, which is the Red Sox did not like cut Johnny Damon and, and right. like he, was, he was out on the street. I mean, this look, no offense. To, I don't even know what this actor's name is. And obviously, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, I don't think people were breaking down his door. I mean, he's sort of like a, you know, he's a, 
he's a commercial actor, right? I mean, he's this is what he does, and and I I mean, frankly, I I think he it, it would take me about four minutes to go over to Sprint. I mean, like I mean, it was like a two year gap or whatever between when he was over at Verizon and over at Sprint, right? But, it would take me if Sprint called me that day. I'd be like, "Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I'll do that." Oh my god! Are you, are I you mean, kidding me? I just got fired. Are you kidding me? How in? I I I, I will literally lose my mind again if I talk about this too much. I I just can't understand the idea of blaming it on the guy. Yeah. He's a guy. He's an, a hired actor who played a character. It's like, I mean, the only, the closest analogy I could get to that I think has some merit is NBC essentially fired David Letterman. And then Letterman went to CBS and for a long time made fun of NBC. Like that was a big part of his shtick once he went over there. Is that he... Now this isn't a perfect analogy either for a million reasons, but it's the closest I could come to in terms of historical uh, basis for, uh, for an analogy. Were you angry at David Letterman when he made fun of NBC? Were you like, hey, that's not fair. You you know they they paid you a lot of money. How dare you? Like no, of course you weren't because NBC fired him. He went somewhere else and then did what he does, which is he made fun of his old network. Which by the way he did when he was there too. <laughs> so, but it, you know, again, not a perfect analogy, but the closest I could come to saying like, do you realize how absurd it is to think like, well, he shouldn't that it wouldn't be it, it's unclassy of him to to uh, you know to make fun of NBC. They fired him. They got rid of him. He, they kicked him out, and then he went somewhere else. He's allowed to do whatever he wants, and no one had a problem with it. Well, you know, it is interesting. There is a, there is a, a sports connection here that actually uh, you already mentioned, but, but it is something that I thought quite a bit about. I used to do a worst contracts uh, story that I would do every year, you know, because there were and have been and will continue to be horrible contracts. And I still get great amusement out of really, really bad contracts. I just think, you know... You know, when you know the Ryan Howard contract was was dead basically a year before it started, it was already a terrible contract. So, so I, you know, there's there's fun in that, but I stopped doing it, and and the reason I stopped doing it is these players, the worst contracts are the players' contracts. The worst contract right now going is Chris Bryant's contract. Chris Bryant is is delivering. Fifty million dollars worth of value to the Cubs, right? And he's getting paid like a half million dollars because right. he hasn't gotten to free agency. So all of the worst contracts are the ones where the players are the ones getting screwed, right? right. I mean that, yes. you know. So no matter how much they pay Barry Zito, no matter how ridiculous that contract is, Barry Zito over the course of his career earned that money. He just he just got it later. In, in life, it was just paid. It was paid out at a weird, incorrect rate. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. When when he was really, really good and won the Cy Young and did all of those things, he was getting paid nothing uh, by baseball standards. He's getting paid a lot of money, but by baseball standards, he was getting paid nothing. And then when he was getting paid just ridiculous sums of money, he wasn't any good anymore. Right. And that's how baseball sort of is. And I I realized that by by doing the worst baseball contract thing, even though it's a fun thing to do it's it's completely misrepresenting what's real and what's real is the players uh are still the ones taking it. the players are still the ones getting hit i mean and they're you know they're doing fine it's a it's a great profession to be good at you're going to make tons and tons and tons of money and and very good players make hundreds and millions of dollars and even mediocre players with 
with like one or two good years at exactly the right time can make enormous amount of money. Um, but all in all, players are delivering their contract. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and and it's it's it misrepresents, I think, the game to sit there and talk about all oh, these players are greedy or he's a free agent, he's going to make all this money, and it's like that only tells half the story, right? Yeah, I mean uh, that is certainly true. I mean there are all those. Uh, you know, articles written about how LeBron James on the open market would be worth would have been worth you know eighty million or a hundred million or whatever right. it was in terms of the value he gave to a team. But I do think that a lot of the reaction to this guy, this Verizon guy, was tribalism. And I, I the 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 close again. Another analogy would be like I listen to the Dan Lebatard show. I love the Dan Lebatard show, sure. the podcast, and there those guys are obviously all from Miami. And guys and gals, I should say, are from Miami, and they hate LeBron James. I mean, they hate they hate him so much. I mean, not all of them, but many of the guys on that crew hate LeBron James, and they and they're like excited about a, like a the, they were excited about the potential for like a Heat Cavs, you know, playoff series, et cetera, et cetera. How can you hate LeBron James? He didn't come from where you are. He came from he was born and raised in Ohio, right. was drafted by a team in Ohio, left that team to come to you, then won two championships with your team and then left again. How can you be sad about that? It's like Santa Claus showed up in your house, gave you a bunch of presents and left and you're furious that he left. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense and it's just pure tribalism. Like there's so many there's there's something innate in humanity that causes us to when people are on our team instead of their team or a team instead of B team, it's like we that's what it should be. And when that changes, everyone goes crazy. And I, I, it's so funny because the, the question kept coming at me on Twitter all weekend of like, how would you feel if, uh, you know, this best player on the Red Sox went to the Yankees? And my response was the same every time. That has happened <laughs> a bunch of times. And be, and it be, first of all, again, not a good analogy because there are more emotional connections between fans and athletes than there are between consumers and the pitchmen who handle their products whose names you don't even know. But given that, I, I'm an adult, so I would be fine with it. Like, I would be, I was mildly annoyed when Johnny Damon left, and then I got over it because I'm a grown up, and I was mildly annoyed when Roger Clemens went to Toronto, and I was mildly annoyed when Pedro went to the Mets. But I'm a grown up, I'm an adult with perspective on the universe, so I didn't, like, rant and rave like a crazy person, and that is what, that's what happened. It happens all the time with athletes, and now weirdly, it's happening with the Verizon guy, and I can't take it. Well, and I got to say, I mean, look, I I grew up in Cleveland. I was certainly affected when LeBron left, uh, and, and in large part, not I, I wasn't I wasn't so mad at him. Uh, I wasn't really mad at him at all. First of all, I mean, that's to me, that's such a weird emotion. I mean, it's sort of like saying I hate a guy in sports. It's a sports thing. It's an, I don't have any real feelings about it. You know, the, the, it's a it's a fun sports thing. Um, but whatever feelings I had about LeBron, one were he he didn't you know he didn't deliver. You know, the, I mean, if he left now after winning a championship in Cleveland. I mean, I think there's no way you could feel anything but but good feelings about him. I mean, he came back and won a championship. But at that point, he hadn't won a championship. And the way he did it, sort of celebratory on ESPN. Of course. That, it felt like kind of grummy. 
None of this has to do with the Verizon guy. No, it it's doesn't. It's not like the Verizon people are going, I wish that guy was still doing our commercials, right? I mean, it's not like he was gone. They didn't he was care. gone. I mean, again, we're now we've wasted all of our sand on this dumb issue, but yeah, I mean, it is, it's truly nuts. And I am, I have a zero tolerance policy for anyone who has an opposing opinion. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. I couldn't agree more. All right, let's let's get to. Uh, we still have some sand. We, we're, we're doing we're doing okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the masters. And by the way, I, I've got this to, to play. Listen, listen to this. Can you hear it? Oh, oh. a tradition unlike any other. <laughs> Brought to you by. <laughs> yeah, that's, that that guy. By the way, did you, you see? Did you see? I, it's it's. I think it's both of our favorite parts of, of any golf tournament. But they brought the Masters guy out. Who I think oh, yeah. Joe Ford. And and Joe Ford came out and, and he like kind of very – looked into the camera. He was kind of very uncomfortable. And, and you know, he's like, we're proud to bring you the Masters with limited commercial interrupt. And it's just like you're delivering incredibly good news to people. Like the yeah. Masters – is the greatest thing because there are almost no commercials. So it's it's so fantastic to watch. And yet the way you're delivering it, it still feels like you're hurting me somehow. Yeah. I, you know? Um, By the way, if you uh, play that music if anywhere in the country, uh, Jim Nance just shows up in, your, in the room where you are and smiles at the camera and says, let's go to 14. Let's 14. All right. Jordan Speed. You know, I think it's a... Uh, this was a great. They're all great. The Masters is. It, it, we're in agreement, right? The Masters is. It's not only the greatest golf tournament, which I think it is. It's sort of the greatest, like of that genre. Whatever, like the non, you know, major four team sports genre is. I mean, Wimbledon, you know, is right there with it. Uh, you know, the Kentucky Derby, the Indy Five Hundred, the Daytona Five Hundred, whatever. Like the Masters is the greatest, right? I think it probably is. It's like it's the, your your choices are basically the Masters, Wimbledon, and the U.S. Open tennis tournament. Yes, because yes. I think that part of the greatness is it's the same place every time. You know, the right. other the other golf tournaments rotate. Um, the no one really cares about like Roland Garros is fine, but it it, it doesn't have the same feeling as being in Queens in August or being in. Uh, in England, and uh, you know, uh, whatever it is, July. When do they play Wimbledon? They play Wimbledon in July. I mean, it, it yeah. ends on July fourth. July fourth. That's right. right. Yeah. yeah. So, like, it, it it's the there's something specific. The the, uh, the specific venue makes the Masters great, and those whole when you know when you're watching um, the you know the two guys. It's usually two guys come down the back nine. You know, you can picture in your head the holes they're going to be playing yeah. and what is going to be hard about it, and. You know that, and you remember Fred Couples not rolling into the water and on the twelve, yeah, and you remember right. like you start. It's it's what Jim Nance does. Jim Nance, who knows more? I've said before, Jim Nance knows more about the Masters than anyone in the world knows about anything. <laughs> like there's no there's no like particle physicist who knows more about particle physics than Jim Nance knows about the Masters. Um, but you, but it's but that's what part that's part of what makes it great. It's that it's this it's this incredibly specific course. It's not the longest course. It's not even the hardest course. No. Really, no. it's just the most specific course. And because of that, every year 
the drama is like off the charts. And this year in particular with Sergio trying to win his first major, it made it even more. I mean, that's, that's the best it gets when there's a person trying to, it's when Mickelson won his first major there. It's, it's those, it's, um, it, the when the, when there's extra drama like that, like a guy trying to win his first, then it just, it gets, you know, kicked up into the stratosphere. Yeah. I, you know, it's really funny you said about the whole thing. Cause yesterday was the, I've thought this thought a few times before covering the Masters, but it was the it was the first time I really remember this thing sort of being crystallized because I was just watching it on television. So I was watching every shot. Number twelve, which is which is you know probably the most famous golf hole in the world now, the the Golden Bell, little par three over Race Creek, uh, 155 yards. I think it played on on Sunday. Very very small. That hole all day until like the last five groups is like a putt-putt hole. It's like the easiest hole for anybody because it's like it's just 155 yards. you got a little creek, fine, but you just hit it in the middle of the of the, of the, of the green and then and then you two-putt or you one-putt or whatever. But they were showing all of these early groups going through 12 and they were all just middle of the green, middle of the green, middle of the green, middle of the green. And then suddenly the final groups started coming through, the ones that were in you know relative contention. And suddenly they're like rolling it back in the water. I mean, it's like... Pressure is the only thing that makes that hole great. Yeah. But it's great every year. Like yeah. every year. And when Jordan Spieth hit into the water again on 12, even though at that point he was already really out of the tournament, it's sort of just, it's just like that hole to me, it's like, I, you know, I don't, I don't play golf. Uh, I play it, but I don't play it on a regular basis. But to me, that is the, if, if I was designer of that hole, that's the perfect hole because it's like, it's like a mirror. It just reflects exactly who you are in that moment. And if you're like going, oh, my God, my day has completely fallen apart on me, you're hitting the ball in the water. Yeah. It just, you're just, it just reflects who you are. It's, that hole is so great. Yeah. I, the, 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 my favorite holes are all the even-numbered holes. Uh, really? um, yeah, I, I don't know why, but so you don't um, like the par the par fives on the thirteen and fifteen. No, because it, because the, to me the the golf like the the most dramatic golf holes are the are always par threes to me. I don't know why. Okay. I just feel I feel like the because you're it, it feels like you're you're everyone has the, starts from the same point, right? It's like yeah. it, there are guys who can hit you know three hundred and forty yard drives and right. and get on the green in two and a par five, and it's like well, all right, well if you can't do that then you have a disadvantage. But on a par three, everybody is playing the same exact shots or has the same exact ability. You can you can stick the ball two feet from the hole or you can roll it into the water. And so I, I tend to, on the Masters, I and I've, I find this to be true almost every year, the holes that I'm the most like intently watching are 10, 12, 14, 16, 18. And the the sixteen Matt Kuchar holding out on sixteen was so great. That was so great. Like that, what a great moment for a guy who, by the way, now and we should get to our main topic, may have that title of best uh, golfer to never win a major. Right? He's at least in contention for uh, for for that title. But that was like a great moment. Like he's you know he was sort of in contention. He had a decent. He had an okay round. It wasn't great. And then. He hits a hole in one. He'll that's a thing he'll have for the rest of his life. He he holed out the 16th hole on the Sunday at the Masters. That's so great. Yeah, it was that was awesome. And look, 16 might be my favorite hole. Uh, that's where Tiger. You know, they, they, I love when people chip up the hill and have it roll back down like Tiger did on that hole. And, yep. And uh, and obviously the hole in ones 
are a real possibility there. But if you had a bad shot there, you know, I remember Greg Norman in 96, he hit it smacking in the middle of that pond. I mean, like, that pond doesn't, yeah. even, doesn't even play. Like, nobody, nobody even, like, thinks about that pond when they're hitting. But if you hit a really bad shot, you hit it in the water there. I mean, that's that hole is great. Um, yes, Sergio. So, 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 first of all, like, kind of cool emotions watch it. It's not like you have to like Sergio. I don't know that a lot of people do like Sergio. Um, but we all know that he's been suffering for like 15, 18 <laughs> years. And he does, he's not just losing. He's losing in a horrible Marty Schottenheimer-like dramatic fashion. Uh, and then it looks like he's going to do that all day on Sunday. Yeah. And he ends up winning. I mean, that's that's sort of, to me, kind of... The essence of what I love about sports, all in one day, you know? It, it's also what's – it's unique to golf. Um, there's a little of this in tennis, but really uh, it's more in golf. It doesn't matter whether the guy who's winning or losing or whatever is liked or disliked. The whole crowd's behind him. You know what I mean? The whole crowd is kind of behind everybody. Yeah. And and that is unique. There's no other sport where I mean Sergio has is a problematic guy. Like he right. made racist comments about Tiger Woods a few years ago and kind of half apologized and then for real apologized and whatever. Like who knows the there's a there's a lot of it's not as uh, straightforward as that, but like he did that stuff and it wasn't cool. It's obviously like a it's a not a great sign. And then there's this sort of other thing, which is that when he was nineteen he was supposed to be the guy who right. challenged Tiger, and it was like these are the two guys, these are the young guns, and then he just kind of faded, and he did he does this thing in major tournaments, which is he starts strong and then just collapses. He is the, you know, uh, I don't know what you he was the pre two thousand four Boston Red Sox of golfers. He would right. he would he would always kind of fall apart at the end, and so because of that story. You know the crowd gets behind him, and then he has this crazy roller coaster where it looks like he's doing it again, and then he goes birdie eagle, and goes back in front, and then misses a gimme putt to fall behind again, and, and then misses a, a not a gimme putt, but like an eight footer at eighteen to win. Right. And you're like, oh, it's and so like three or four different times, and you and I were texting during this, yeah. three or four different times within the span of the back nine, it was basically, oh no, he's doing it again. And then it was like, well, wait a second, no, he's not. And then it was like, oh no, he is. Ooh, well, hang on. And it, and I think that ro the roller coaster of it, you know, it wasn't a wire to wire win. It wasn't an easy cruise to victory, like you know when Tiger won by whatever it was, eighteen strokes or whatever, or twelve strokes. It was a, it was a real like he had to gut it out. And for a guy who has that particular um, bugaboo. Uh, that was the way to do it because he it's like all of those demons are gone all of the whole narrative is gone now he's he's fine if you were worried about Sergio Garcia's legacy or mental health or anything you don't have to worry anymore and as a guy who I have incredible I hate more than anything the narrative of best player in any sport to never yeah. win the big one I hate it I hate it so much it stinks and it's and uh, in team sports, it's especially stupid. It's it's especially stupid when it's Dan Marino or it's John Elway before Terrell Davis came along or whatever. At least in golf or tennis, it has there's some validity to it because it's an individual sport. I still hate it. I still think it stinks, and I'm always happy no matter what who the person is. I'm always kind of happy when a person gets that monkey off his or her back. Yeah, I, I totally agree with all of that. I look the the thing about Sergio is. I think he is sort of a problematic figure because 
it isn't simple with him. I mean, there's there are many likable qualities about the guy. I, I the whole you know he, he basically had said uh, you know hey we can have Tiger over for fried chicken, which was the the racist comment, and then he he sort of seemed surprised that it was even taken as racist, and then he realized oh I better actually apologize because I didn't apologize the first time, and so it was like that whole thing was weird. Plus Tiger was like you know I don't I think. Tiger's a tough guy. I mean, and you know, and Tiger did not mind beating up on Sergio, so so that was weird too. And and so so there's definitely like a lot going on with his personality. But on the on the golf course, he we just were watching human suffering with the guy. I mean, yeah. just for years and years, it wasn't just him losing; it was him lipping out and then and then like saying, "Oh, why is the world against me?" And and you know, oh, the wind happen to pick up with my ball in the air. I mean, it was like, it's like he, he seemed to feel like the whole, you know, everything in, in all the cosmos were like conspiring to destroy him. That's, that's right. That's how he sort of seemed to be. And then he, you know, found this girlfriend who was following him around and, and seemed to sort of get a new perspective on life. Uh, whether he did or didn't, he came back in five different ways on Sunday that you kind of believe the old Sergio wouldn't have. Now, maybe that's just bad narrative. I mean, maybe he would have. The thing that's weird about Sergio is Sergio has long been viewed as like a guy who chokes, a guy who does not, uh, you know, doesn't play the big one. But Sergio's been a Ryder Cup warrior, right? He's like almost unbeatable, basically, in the Ryder Cup, where there's incredible pressure, obviously. He's won 30 times around the world, so... It was some weird thing with the majors, and so that's why, yeah, I, I'm i just glad he got it. I'm glad he got it. I actually really like Justin Rose and would have been perfectly happy for him to win again. I think that guy's awesome. He could not have been classier in, in defeat. Um, you know, so it was, it was just cool. And it was really good because the whole day sort of seemed to be setting up to be terrible, right? Because Jordan... Yeah. Came out and was a disaster, and and Ricky Fowler, who I is another. I think Ricky Fowler is the best player in the world to have not won a major. Yeah, and, and now you know, which is a dreadful thing to have on him. But I want him to finally break through, and he he kind of went in the tank, and and so it looked like, hey, this might not be that interesting, but somehow somehow the Masters is always interesting, right? They always find a way somehow. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, you're right. I, I, the old Sergio, the simplest way to put it was he seemed like a crybaby. Like, he yeah. seemed like it was like, you know, why does this always happen to me? Like, uh, it didn't get a good bounce. And it, uh, and uh, I read one thing about him, which was he said, he was saying to someone, I can't, I think in the middle of the round, he was like, you know, look, I'll give him my best shot, and Justin's playing great. And you know, if he, if he, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. It seems like he's, he's he went through something. He's got yeah. he's come through the other side, and that I'm, that makes me happy. And by the way, it should be noted that his his abhorrent racist comments about Tiger Woods uh, are indefensible, and were indefensible at the time, and are still indefensible. However, there was some kind of weird feud going on there that was deeper than than that, and you know, than just those comments and. It's also it's certainly possible that, that in that feud, forgetting about his comments, like he was in a feud with a guy who is also himself was also problematic in many ways. So like whatever the whatever the like, I'm sure that like there are ways that behind the scenes some things were said. Some was, weird, some really stuff went down, man, you know, and and 
he is uh, uh, he's a little Sergio was a little bit of a crybaby and he was immature and he said some racist stuff and that was indefensible and I hope that whatever he's gone through is like real and like as a human being I hope that he sort of is now a better human being and regardless so putting all that aside just pure sports achievement I am happy for the guy because again I hate that narrative of you're probably right it's Fowler I think has he's been in like the top five and three maybe all four majors at least three yeah, out of four. He's he's finished like top. He's yeah. yeah he, he was top five all four in one year. So. Oh, was he really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay, there you go. So yeah, so the, he's the guy now, and it'll be a couple years before. Hopefully, he'll just win one in the next year, and people won't even have the chance to notice that he's that guy now. Um, but uh, yeah, I just I hate that. I hate it so much. I I wish it didn't exist. If you type in Sergio, Gar- if you type in best golfer. One of the things that Google suggests is to never win a major. <laughs> just like it just stinks. I By just, the way, I, I just want to say one other thing about the uh, about the comments that he made. Uh, obviously, they are they are you know indefensible, and he and he you know he I think he finally did realize that um, they are nothing compared to the fuzzy Zeller comments. No, you know, these comments made me go back because I, I was looking and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, it was just like fuzzy Zeller. It wasn't just like fuzzy No, Zeller. no, no. It really wasn't. No, it sure wasn't. Fuzzy uh, Zeller, yeah, says, uh, uh, he says, yeah, fried chicken and collard greens and w- whatever else they serve or something yeah. along those lines. That's not great. That was some real old school Southern <laughs> racism. The, the Sergio was like, Dumb racism from a non-native English speaker, right? It's right. still racism, and he still he still took it on the chin, and he deserved it. But Fuzzy Zeller, that was that was good old fashioned, just like old school Southern hardcore racism. That it would, and that you know that's the other funny thing is that we all do this all the time with the Masters. For the, I find the I find the way that that Augusta is run and kind of presents itself to the world to be abhorrent and disgusting. They still don't let women to like walk around in certain places, even if they're reporters, it's got a very troubling history of racism and misogyny and all that sort of stuff. And then for four days a year, you go like, God, it's so beautiful there, isn't it? It's so what a great tournament. Oh, it's so what, look at that. God, it's so peaceful. And I love the Creek and the little bridge. Oh, look, there's amen corner. And you just, you put all of those like, troubling problematic issues with the tournament and that organization aside for four days because the actual tournament is so fun and And then the day afterwards i'm like oh man that place is really the pits (laughs) i really i really despise the way that they handle their business and this is the reason why right here yeah (laughs) that's it this is it we are running we are running out of sand, so that means it is time for one last meaningless thing and we're trying something new we're actually going to play the music Live. So here Great. we go. It's one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. We talk about sports and we draft things we know. Like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, nor Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast won't. One last one. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that just beautiful? It really is. It's really touching. I believe you go first. Um, so I uh, was watching the, the back nine with my friend Max, and who, neither of us plays golf. I've probably 
hit golf balls uh, at a driving range three times in the last 28 years, I would say. Wow. So that be and he's roughly the same way. So that began a uh, a question, which was I, some some player finished his round at, uh, and hit uh, seventy five. So I said, okay, you and I go to a golf course right now, any golf course, average golf course. I give you seventy five strokes. How many holes can you complete? And we had like a good, like thorough, like we kind of like tossed it around, and we thought like you know it might depend on. If how many of the first, you know, first, let's say, eight holes are like par fives versus par threes, that would make a difference probably. And I, I feel pretty strongly that on the average golf course, given 75 strokes, I could complete four holes. <laughs> and and I'm pretty sure I could do four. And I'm, I'm mostly sure I could, do, I could fit, uh, complete four holes. And I think I could get five. You could get five, or you would just start the fifth. No, I think I, I, I think so. Five holes would be what? That's like fourteen or fifteen strokes per hole. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure I could, I could complete five holes with seventy-five strokes and be on the sixth hole. Yeah, I think I think you could do it. Depending right? on, on the golf course, depending on the golf course. Sure. Uh, I will tell you this, and I'll use this as my one last meeting. This thing, uh, I have played Augusta National. Um, I played it uh, when I was uh, working for the Augusta Chronicle. And and there's a very quick story that goes along with that. Um, everybody who covered the Masters for the Augusta Chronicle in those days used to get the chance to play Augusta National on the last day that it's open. It's a, it's a winter golf course. It's a winter-spring golf course. So they close it, like, just on, like, May 31st or something. So, like, on May – is there a May 31st, by the way? Uh, uh Yes. Yeah. So on like the last day of May or first day of June or whatever, we all got to go out there and play. And and I, you know, don't play like you. I played a few more times than you have, but but only driving range. I've never played a full round uh, of golf. And so I go out to Augusta National and play and and uh, uh, bring like my little starter set out there. And I shot 72. What? On the front, on the front nine. Oh. And... and <laughs> And, and that is absolutely true, and I, literally true. And you know, and by, but it was fun, and I actually parred number eleven somehow. I don't even remember exactly how I. I was like, I hit a my second shot rolled up. It was some weird like bounce or something. Anyway, I played it, and then and uh, and I left after sixteen holes because a friend of mine was getting married, and we had to go to his uh, his wedding, which was on a was on an island. We actually had to catch a ferry to go there, and I was, like, in his wedding, so we both had to go. Uh, so I left after 16 holes. I wrote about it uh, in the paper. I wrote about my horrific, you know, my wonderful experience, but my horrific round at Augusta National. And they were so mad that somebody like me had gotten on the golf course. <laughs> they started a tournament, like, that the Augusta National, Augusta Chronicle reporters had to play. They had to break 100 in this tournament in order to qualify to play on Augusta National. So they had to, like, you had to show, like, a minuscule level of talent sure. uh, to go out there. They still play that tournament to this day. They still, <laughs> the Augusta Chronicle people want to go play Augusta National. They still have to, like, score, you know, 100 in the Joe Posnanski Open. Uh, <laughs> which, which is very sad, but sort of speaks to what Augusta National is right there. They don't want, they don't want my kind out there. I think that um, that both of our 
one last meaningless things are we're dangerously close to not being meaningless you know <laughs> that we should we should just it's a, like a, i'm raising a yellow flag here they were a little too on point they were a little too relevant they were about the top the main topic in the future uh, i think we I'm, right. in the future i think we would we would do well to make our one last meaningless things more meaningless that's a, just right. a word you know word to the wise I, I, I think you're right. I, I really, that was not my one last meaningless thing, but I wanted to play off of yours. Since sure. No, I get it. I think it's on me. I really think it's on me for even, for making my thing about the topic. I shouldn't have done. That was a huge, a classic blunder. <laughs> it was. It was a classic blunder. We have been out of sand for, but I think only for about three minutes. This is not bad. We not, not bad at bad. all. I think we're good. I think we're good here. Oh, we're good. All right, Michael Wall, as always, thank you. Thank you for having me.